0: To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Is oh, yeah. it that 200-inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away.
1: <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my
0: hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? We've got a brand new podcast for you. So this week I have on Logan Erdman. I really enjoyed getting to meet and sit down with Logan and have a conversation. Logan is a diehard elk hunter. He's also a knife builder, and he's really got an inventor's mind. Uh, he's got a, a bunch of great ideas of things that have helped him in his bow hunting, both multi-purpose items and... Um, oh, we get into wind checkers again. That's been a... Uh, a hot topic here on the podcast lately but he's just got a bunch of great ideas it was a great conversation that i really enjoyed and i know you guys are going to enjoy it too i want to thank our sponsor for the show zamberlin boots Zamberlin builds the highest quality boots available. I'm so impressed and amazed by these boots. Uh, They've actually brought me back to using a hiking boot. Uh, As you guys know, I love to hunt in tennis shoes and have for the last handful of years. And Zamberlin offers a pair of those too. Uh, They offer a pair of 103 HikeLite RRs. And what these are is they're uh, water resistant, But they're just a burlier tennis shoe. I use mine for an entire year for work, for hunting, I even run in the winter time in them. Uh, I just absolutely love them and they've held up to all the abuse I put them through. Uh, In fact, I'm about ready to wear out the bottoms on my first set. Uh, So they make great tennis shoes. They also make that lightweight hiker. Uh, It's a low height boot and I believe these boots really help propel you down the trail. They help in side-healing fatigue and calf fatigue. And so I like wearing these on my big mountain hunts. Uh, the boots I'm using are the Zamberlin 320 Trail Light GTXs. Uh, just a great boot. Um, I've had them for over a year. They're still waterproof, which is just amazing to me. I'm used to the waterproofing on boots wearing out in about a month. So to actually have dry feet is amazing. <laughs> So uh, I love Zamberlin. I love everything they stand for and really appreciate their support on the podcast. If you guys are in the market for a new set of boots, make sure to check out Zamberlin. I also want to thank Eastman's. Uh, Eastman's has supported this podcast from the very beginning. Uh, They support me on all my ventures. Uh, I've got a fly fishing specific podcast, Eastman's Flycast, that they support. Um, and, And they've just been a great company to work for. So make sure to check out everything we have going on at Eastman's check out Eastman's bow hunting journal Eastman's hunting journal Uh, we just had a new episode come out at Eastman's bow hunting journal I was able to write this article about finding next level bucks Uh, it's a great article I'm really happy at the way it came out in the spread the look uh the way they they put the pictures in with with the text uh, just give them, they make me look really good, better than I am. So thanks to those guys for that. But check out the magazines, check out our internet research tool Tag Hub. Uh, make sure to check out our internet TV show. You can find that at Eastman's Hunting TV and um, you can see the newest episodes that have come out. We just released a couple episodes that I did a while back in elk hunt and then a high country mule deer hunt, I believe in Wyoming. So some great hunts. They're going to continue to release some of my past hunts and some of my new hunts on there. So be on the lookout for that. And with that, just getting these podcasts ready to roll. Uh, By the time this comes out, I'll I'll have been elk hunting for a week. Uh, Super excited to cut these legs loose and go chase some bulls. Um, Doesn't get any more thrilling or any more exciting than hunting elk during the rut. So I wanted to make sure to get out these elk hunting podcasts during elk season Um, to give you guys some good information coming in. Uh, Hope you guys are having some good elk hunting and getting into some good action. It's just the absolute funnest time of the year. Uh, So make sure you're enjoying your time in the field, your time in the woods, and the entire process. And uh, hope you guys find some success this season. Uh, With that, let's get into this podcast. Logan Erdman, this is Eastman's Elevated. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go. Okay, I've got Logan Erdman on the phone. Um, Logan, it's really nice to meet you. Thanks for being on the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. I appreciate it, man.
0: Yeah, so you, um, you absolutely live bow hunting, and you've fallen in love with hunting elk out west. Um, so tell me a little bit about your introduction into elk hunting.
1: Um, well, it all started when I was maybe 11 or 12 years old, and uh, I heard an elk bugle on like the outdoor channel. And I was sold, man. Uh, they were bow hunting them, like full-blown rutting bulls. It was like some primos. You remember the old primos bow hunting, where like the elk were just bugling all over the place, and and just giant like 300 class bulls just around every tree. Um, yeah, I saw some of that, and I was like, one day that's gonna be me, you know. And uh, here we are.
0: Does it does it live up to the hype?
1: Um, well, there's not a 300 or 350 inch bowl behind every tree, but <laughs> some of the adventures that it's led me to, it, it's, uh, I, I, it's not a sport. It's not, it, it's, it's a way of life for me. Truly. Uh, when they say it's a lifestyle, the bow hunting will, will rule you, man.
0: <laughs> it is. It takes a absolute complete dedication and commitment um, and and especially if you're goal orientated and and, and want to do better and and improve your hunting skills, but yeah, elk is one of those things that it hooks you. You know, a, a lot of these hunts I go on, I I think to myself, boy, I'd like to do that one time in my life. I'd like to hunt those things, you know, whatever it is, with tar in the in the Southern Alps, or I'd like to hunt, you know, mule deer in the high country, or Uh, you know, running bulls, you know, in in big western mountains. And then you go do that that said thing that's your once in a lifetime. And you figure out pretty pretty, pretty soon that it's like the coolest thing that you've ever done. It's like, man, I have got to figure out a way to do this every single year. But I always get hooked on these hunts, and that's what your elk hunting reminds me of, something that you really wanted to do that turned into a lifestyle, into a passion that Now you work 365 at, and it has to be that way to try to expect any chance at success, doesn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely, man. Uh, I just told my wife the other day, I said, the only time it ain't elk season is when it's deer season. And she just looked at me. I was like, yeah, you're right. It's elk season all the time. And she agreed. So if I can get her on board, uh, then it's contagious, man. Um, I took her to Colorado, I think it was 2016, and she made it two days. It looked like I was on a up there on a mountain beating her with a ball peen hammer. I mean, her legs are just. I said, I don't know if you just bruise like a peach or if this country is really just that nasty, but she made it two days and uh, was very rough for her, but she was determined to go back. Um, so not last year, the year before, I brought her back to Idaho, man, and she just rocked it. Um, but she took it seriously and. She was like, I need to start eating better and I need to start working out because I'm not going to be the reason you don't kill a bull this year. And it was really eye opening for me um, to be like, wow, like that two days. And I think we did like three miles a day in those two days. Um, The day after she left, I went and did 12 by myself. But I was like, wow, like six miles in the Rockies was enough of an impact for her to change her lifestyle. Like, and it changed my lifestyle too she started cooking all this healthy food and uh i was questioning her big time
0: <laughs> <laughs> um it's, it's uh it's it's what it takes like uh the the mountains will humble anyone the the elevation and then you know especially if you're backpack hunting carrying that weight on your back all that's just the equalizer and and, and pretty soon it gets to be work and um I think with all hunting, it, it tests your dedication. It tests how bad you want it while you're on that hunt or while you're on said hunt, because it's like that type two fun. That's not fun all the time. Like sometimes it's grueling and it's tough and, and it's downright miserable, but it's that type two fun that when you get done, um, the, the feeling of accomplishment uh, of being able to walk those miles or the toughness or I don't know if the pain just washes away and all you do is remember like the good times and the excitement and and guys like me and you we've seen the payoff we've gotten into those elk you know uh, arrowed elk like um you know I, I've killed really good six points and so I've seen that payoff and so I know what the payoff is and how good it feels and so for me I'll walk barefoot through broken glass to get there it's like whatever it takes miles elevation it doesn't matter you know the next mountain it doesn't matter. And I, I I'm in it to win it and in it to find my own limits. But through that, I have so much fun. Like I, I come home or I get done with that hunt and I, I push myself mentally and physically and I come back and that's all I can think about is being back in the mountains. Similar for you.
1: Absolutely. Um, and I'm always learning stuff out there. And I think that's a big part of what draws me to the mountains is the constant learning and the growth, um, you never know when you're gonna, you're gonna learn or like something's just gonna click. Uh, it's like you said, a a super humbling and addictive experience. Um, and I would encourage anybody like if there's a part of you that wants to to get into it, then do it, man, because it'll change you. Oh
0: dude. I I love what, um, I, I love what you said, like always learning, like, um, you know, I I've been hunting western game my entire life and devoted my entire life to, or structured my whole life so I can do more of it. But I'm still constantly learning. There's there's just no limit to where you can go, and I think that's one of the things that's that's so appealing about it. And it like it it rewards creative thinking. You know, it rewards thinking outside the box. It rewards hard work and effort. And and I love the, like those life lessons to me, like that's the funnest thing. And so, yeah, I think that's a big part of it is, um, it keeps us learning it. And I think that's what keeps the passion alive is that you, you, you just never stop trying to improve or trying to get better. I'm trying to be a better version of myself this season, more miles, more arrows, just, uh, finely tuned, just, uh, uh, sharpened steel you know to to where you go into this season and and um, you know maybe you're not perfect but make a lot of good decisions and able to rely upon my instincts and hopefully fill some tags with some trophy critters
1: absolutely man um and I could totally relate with the trying to get better um last year I think uh, my third access on my site was off and I had no idea um I went down to Texas and hunted some pigs. And I ended up missing one, and then I wounded one, and it was so strange. Like, I would stand at 20 on flat ground and just be center punching them, climb up into the tree and shooting a mile to the right, and I could not figure it out. So I stripped everything off my bow, and I started, like, stringing everything. I was just like, I'm going to start from a bear riser and just restart um, new sight I switched over um, I was shooting an IQ before an IQ seven pin and I switched over to a spot hog uh, Tommy hog and I was kind of apprehensive because of like the roll on the dial and just the I got the, the double pin um, I was apprehensive it was intimidating to me um, so I got my bow tuned and we sighted it in and I was just shooting like a hundred percent better Uh, My third axis was dialed in. I was shooting great. And I was just like, man, this is the confidence I was looking for. And then out of the blue, like a switch, target panic. And I had to reevaluate my whole shooting situation. Um, It turned out that shooting groups, I think, was getting in my head. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if that's ever happened to anybody else, but um, I would – just I would start off strong, and then just overthink it. So I had to just stop myself, and now I just shoot one arrow, and um, I can shoot I can shoot one arrow and hit the mark just about every time. Now at least keep it in the insert at some of those longer ranges. Um,
0: yeah. And the whole. Go ahead. Sorry.
1: Um, it was like the whole the whole single pin thing really did help me. Um, just that clear sight picture. So trying to be a better archer for sure man
0: yeah absolutely yep it it's it's making those improvements and yeah i love the the roller sights like they take a little bit more time and effort to set up but there's nothing like holding your pin exactly where you want to hit like not having to gap shoot um so so yeah what a great improvement and then yeah that that target panic you know it 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 creeps up. It, and it's it's actually the more arrows you shoot, the worse it gets. Your brain's starting to anticipate that shot going off every time that pins in the middle. And so, yeah, a lot of guys can solve it. I know, you know, Dan Picard shoots a command style shooting with this trigger release, and so, you know, he's he's the same way where he takes breaks from his bow, he doesn't shoot too many arrows, he's able to get dialed in and you know he's able to to keep it in check that way, and and, and everybody's different, you know, and and definitely shooting that that um, trigger style release, you know, shooting less arrows, and then also just working on that trigger execution, being able to let that bow aim in the middle as you squeeze on the on the trigger, and not say now, and when it gets in the middle. You know, being able to squeeze on that trigger is allowing yourself to aim at that middle of the bullseye and letting it swim around in there. So practice that too as you're shooting. But, um, yeah, guys, got to keep that in check. Like that, that target panic. It doesn't come when you first start shooting. It comes later in your years of shooting, and it's usually the more you shoot, you start to develop it that that shot anticipation. And so you know, that's when a lot of us guys. You know, start leaning towards back tension shooting and and retraining our brain and uh, the the whole deal. But um, yeah, we're all individuals. We just gotta solve our own um, solve our own puzzles.
1: Yeah, the uh, the single pin kind of got me. But um, what I've been doing lately is practicing at 50 yards with my dial set at 25. And I'm just using the junction of my bubble level and my sight post, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, So,
0: I got, so I you're not the... holding the pin on the bullseye. You've got a different thing. But see, the deal is, is your brain will start to anticipate that shot eventually too. Like it what? starts to Can figure you? out your tricks because my, my pin would always aim low, 6 o'clock. That was how my target panic crept in. And now I could fight against it. I could get my pin up. I could still shoot decent shots in decent groups. But it was like, man, if I could just hold my pin on the middle, like it held low there, so I could set my bow to where my bow would hit high. So my pin would aim low, and then it'd stick the arrows in the bullseye when I was practicing. But my brain will start to anticipate that too. And all of a sudden, my brain won't let me hold low anymore. It'll make me hold lower than that. You know, it, and man, the brain's a weird trick. Like, you, you got you, you to gotta conquer your own beast and figure out your own route, but that target panic, man, it's
1: rough. Well, I think, um, part of my apprehension was like, I like the multi pins. So if I'm at full draw and the animal moves, um, you know, I can make a quick adjustment because, uh, like I said, my wife, she'll usually be filming for me and I have a, her have a range finder. So her job is to kind of range if, if something goes awry. Um, but I, w- I was worried, you know, I'm like, well, what if I'm at full draw and he moves? Oh, I got that the double pin so um in you know do you, you you have multi pins on your your uh, dial sight or do you shoot a dial sight? Or- yeah.
0: I shoot a slider. Uh, I shoot a five pin slider.
1: Okay. Okay, yeah. Uh, mine's just got the uh the the single post and there's two pins on that post. Yep. Um and then on the side of it there's like two arrows that tell you your yardages. Mhm. I went through and I wrote all of those yardages on my bow riser so if i'm at 20 yards i'm shooting 37 on my second pin if i'm at 25 yards and i'm at 37 on my my second pin um and i also wrote wrote some stuff on my uh my sight ring to kind of help me remember my my shot sequence but what i was getting at earlier was it kind of freaked me out like what if the animal moves um but like I said, I can I can shoot at 50 yards with the junction of my sight post and my level um, with my dial at 25 yards. So anybody that's like, well, what if he moves? You can still – there's still ways around. You know what I mean? Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I totally get you. You have a reference point for different yardages. I exactly. see what you're saying is when you're rolled up, then you've got – you know, a 50 yard spot, you can aim or that second pin. And so you've got a reference. I think that's one of the advantages of like a multi pin slider. And I've always said that is, you know, then when you're dialed, you know, for like, for me, for a five pin slider, I've got 20 through 60, if I need it quick, which usually I like to dial, but wherever I dial, I've got a reference of 10 yards above that, you know? And so like, like to be able to say, okay, he went five yards okay, split the pin now, you know, and now aim in between those two pins. And so, yeah, it does give you, like, a reference to where you can adjust a couple yards, five yards, ten yards on the fly, which isn't so important, like, on, on mule deer and things, but definitely, like, elk and antelope, where they're always moving and everything's always changing and you're trying to get a shot. Uh, you know, it, it can definitely be advantageous. The the argument against it for just a single pin and maybe yours is this way where you get to take advantage of all of the above. Uh, but the advantage that I've seen from a single pin is this is the argument my buddy uh, Dan Heverin makes. is He says, yes, you have a reference point, but he says, the majority of the animals I shoot at, you know I'm going to dial their yardage. And he says, sure, I can tell two, three yards and hold a little high or hold a little low. And, and his point of view is that everything is centered, so he gets more consistent shooting out of it. Because his peep is centered, his sight housing is centered, and then his single pin is centered. So me, my five pins, you know, my, my slider pin is not centered in, in my sight housing, if this makes any sense. So he says center, center, center. He shoots better groups and more accurate, and he'd rather have his bow set up that way just because he shoots it better than to have like a three-pin slider or a five-pin slider where it's not exactly centered. Makes sense.
1: Right, Absolutely. And uh, I think that just goes to like everything in bow hunting and archery is just some give and take, you know, I think everything, uh, especially now, everybody's just up and up their game with, with technology and improvements and uh, like some of the range finders and, and stuff is just like, it's mind blowing the stuff coming out nowadays, but it's, it's a give and take. So, um, I don't know, you probably just have to play with it and dial it to the way that you hunt you know i think application is everything oh yeah
0: no you're spot on i like that give and take um yeah and and also personal preference um you know it's like looking at looking at tents so you know sure the lightest weight thing you can uh, the lightest weight shelter you can get is a bivy sack you know But a bivy sack, it sucks to sleep in. It sucks to ride out rainstorms in. It sucks for mosquitoes. Can't breathe in that thing. You get condensation. So you give up comfort for weight. But then you can go to a four-pound tent that's a double-wall design that uh, self-sets up. It can set in the wind. But you have to give up that weight for this durability or for this – this bomb-proof shelter for the space, you know, or you come in somewhere in between, like uh, what I like to use, like a bivy tent, a pound and a half, maybe a pound and three quarters by the time I get my stakes in there, sets up with a trekking pole, can ride out storms, but, you know, the the walls can get flapping around a little bit, it's not the tightest setup, you know, like every, you set it up with a trekking pole and your own stakes, so every time, you know, kind of the, the, the skill is – the the setup a lot has to do with your skill and also the place you're setting it up at. and Usually it's not a flat spot. It's on a hillside. But you're so right with archery, with backpacking, with whatever it is. It's give and take and it's personal preference. And you said it at the best at the beginning of the conversation where you said uh, uh, building confidence in it. And no matter what your weapon, no matter what your process, no matter how you go about it, you, you, you know, as, as long as you have confidence in that weapon and confidence in your ability, critters are going to die.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Confidence kills, man. Um, confidence. That's why, um, I don't know. It's, it's something like, yeah. Can I go out and a pair of Chuck Taylors and, and kill some deers, kill some elk? Yeah. But I'm probably not as confident in myself if I'm you know, wearing Chuck Taylors versus like my my crispy Nevadas or, or whatever your preferred boot is—like it can be something as simple as that—that kind of gets your confidence built up. Um, yeah, confidence kills, man. It's important key. uh If you're questioning something, probably work on it.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and you know, just like that third axis and shooting angles—like the devil can be in the details, you know—and. And it can all come, you know, your whole hunt can can all come down to this one moment, you know, that that hopefully you've prepared for, and that you know your gear well enough, and that you have that confidence in your gear to execute that shot. Man, it it all comes down to that. And so, walking around with the wood in the woods with confidence, and it's not it's not like a a false confidence. Like that confidence is earned throughout the entire season. Just like you put in that work the entire season with your bow and and also with your form and with your practice and the whole deal. Like, like that's what builds confidence for me is good groups all summer long, knowing my bow inside and out shooting high pressure situations, delivering in those moments like that, that bow of mine this year. Like it's, you know, I think I've only had one hunt with it, one bear hunt, but you know, Along with that and some other high-pressure shooting with buddies and the Western Summits and different things, like, that bow is shooting, you know. And that that confidence, it wasn't built, you know, overnight. That's been built with an entire year spent with that bow, working with it every single day and putting a bunch of arrows through it, working on that tune, you know, working on fine-tuning it. Uh, So that confidence is definitely earned. But, man, that's the most powerful tool you can have in the mountains come September.
1: absolutely. And, um, yeah, I don't now, like I was just up on my roof the other day because that third access, I, I was like, man, if I'd have just practiced like I was hunting, which was from a tree stand, um, I would have known something was up. So now, um, I'm moving the targets around the yard, uh, different distances, different angles. And, uh, like I said, I was up there on my roof. I mean, if you're going to shoot from your roof, be careful. Um, but, yeah, definitely. Um, practice, practice everything, man. It, it really helps your confidence.
0: Oh, yeah. You got a muley tag coming up this year and those muleys, uh, you know, they're like it's it's par for the course to be shooting on a 30 or 40 degree slope. That third axis is is so important. And so you hear people say it and you hear people talk about it. It's one of those things. It's kind of tough to explain on a podcast. Uh, but it has to do with the level of your sight, and as you tilt down, the level of your sight, the way you hold your bow, it's no longer level, and so you can't your bow. And usually right-handed archers tend to miss to the right. And to actually adjust, like I know my third axis, and maybe it's just my grip and my bow setup, and I've been doing it so long, like I I know that I have to crank my sight all the way to the left, and so it's like tilting my sight all the way to the left before I sight in my bow, and that's usually where my third axis is good, and you can do it a couple different ways, so if you hang a, 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 like a bolt from a string, that string will be totally level. And then you can draw your bow, relax, and then aim down and kind of aim down at a 30, 40 degree slope and still trying to line up your sights on those strings. And if, if you're 20 and you're 60 sight or like you, you have that whole level sight bar that you have in yours, that whole level sight bar should be on that string, both when you first draw back and when you tilt down. So that's a good way to test it. But for me... Like, I always have to proof it. I got to go shoot 40-degree slopes, and I got to go shoot it at a, a target and make sure it's hit and center. But that's a super important step for me. And, dude, I think I learned, like, the same hard lesson at, like, hunting muleys and – um, I, I can't remember. You know, it's been 13, 15 years ago. But I remember having a season where it was like I had missed a buck left or, or I had missed a buck right, and it was like I – you know, it, I couldn't make sense of it until the next year when I was really learning about my third axis and out there on angles. And I shot my bow and saw that my third axis was shooting way to the right. And it was like, oh, man, like a light bulb went off. Like you were saying earlier, like that's why I hit right. It was my third axis. Like, um, So it's so important, those details. And, and these summer months are the months to get this stuff dialed in just so when it comes down to season – like every successful hunt will come down to making a shot, you know? And so you just want to prepare yourself as good as you can shooting with your pack on shooting. Like most of my shots come from my knees as well. Do you shoot a lot from your knees?
1: Um, depending on the, the, the situation. Yeah. I practice all the time from, from my knees, from sitting down. Cause, uh, I live in Ohio. We'll do some, some ground blind hunting. So we'll have chairs out there. So, um, after that whole situation, um, i practice everything if i if i even think you know it's going to be a possibility of making a shot like that i mean i'll um there's a local archery range up the road for me and um i went there with a buddy and we were just making crazy shots like through trees and like having to duck down or squat and you feel kind of goofy doing it but it's like hey you never know um when or where you might have to like kind of squat I don't. it's 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 different so i would recommend that to anybody is to go out there and kind of you know put yourself in the position and, and try try some different shots
0: yeah it's so tough to shoot from a sitting position just you take away like your whole bottom end your whole you, you don't realize how much your legs have to do with your aiming of your bow but it's huge in the that your overall stability but shooting from sitting or from um you know, like those chairs, that's really tough to do.
1: Yeah. I, um, even drawing your bow, if you sit flat on your butt, trying to draw your bow, it feels like it's about doubled in weight.
0: <laughs> and yeah, I don't, I don't shoot from my butt. Mine's always from my knees is where I get, but I, I practice like that, uh, the wide stance, like sitting on my, on my feet and then also being able to raise up. And just like you said, like that, those 3d courses are so good, to, to like challenge your shooting ability, but also like that squatting down like sometimes there's a branch in your way where you have to squat down or squat over and and even being on a steep hillside, it's you know shoot so much level ground or I live in a level spot, you know, and so like shooting on uneven ground uh you know what surprises me is um the uneven ground, your footing. But have you ever drawn back on a steep slope and you've got your, I've got my bow so far angled over. Like it feels weird leaning away from the hillside. Like I draw back and I look at my level and my level's way off and I can hardly trust it. I have to move my bow about a foot to get it level. Have you ever had that happen?
1: Oh, absolutely. And especially when all the trees are growing funny and it just, it's not right. You know what I mean? Cause you want to line up with, your natural surroundings almost yeah so you're, when you're
0: like, your subconscious almost makes you line up to what's around you
1: exactly so then you bring it back to level and you're like man this just does not feel right
0: <laughs> yeah i've done that on quite a few critters but i've learned to really trust my level but
1: yeah man all
0: that stuff pays dividends shooting with the pack on another one is like um in my wintertime hunts um took me a long long time or some hard lessons learned that that shooting in the way i do a lot of like rut muley hunts and um late season hunts where it gets cold anything more than a sweatshirt on me and i'll hit my arm with my string and my shot will go low so i had to learn that lesson the hard way that any jackets i wear i've always got to have an arm sleeve or or a um, uh, you know arm sleeve or I'm trying to remember what those things are called but you arm put guard? A, yeah there you go an arm guard I right? so I have like four or five of those things I've got them stashed in my truck and my pack and my because I know late season if I don't have an arm guard my shot will hit my sleeve and go low
1: and you don't want to you don't want to learn that during the shot on a critter man like that it my third access on my bow sight cost me uh, a wounded pig, like I'll take a miss, but I don't take wounding an animal very, very well. Um, you know, I appreciate life and, and all animals. I mean, I know pigs are kind of destructive and, you know, kind of running rampant, but still it was like, I should have killed that thing and I should have known better. And that's just, I, I went home. I mean, the old lady shot a pig. So at least we, we came home with some pork chops, but that was kind of a defeating ride home. And we drove all the way to Texas from Ohio, so um, just shooting from a tree stand could have saved me that for sure.
0: Oh man, yeah, that um, you know we pride ourselves on making those quick, efficient kills and making good shots, and um, you know the the pressure's really on when we're executing on animals, and not you know not only us but the. You know the the pressure's on as far as like uh making sure that all those little things are dialed in and sure accidents can happen and things do happen in bow hunting, but you know that's what we're trying to avoid um there's nothing like making a you know it it seems like it adds to the trophy and adds to the experience to keep your cool and then execute a really good shot on an animal and just double lung him and see him walk out there and tip over a short blood trail and he's done there's just nothing on this earth that I found that makes me feel better just because it's taken so much hard work, you know, throughout the year and throughout a lifetime of trying to learn and be good in those situations. But man, that is the best feeling in the world.
1: Oh yeah. When you hear them crash and pile up in just a matter of seconds, you just, yeah, you do the fist pump, you know what I mean? Like, yes, smoked them. That's there's nothing like it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's where it's at. Well, you've also got an inventor's mind. I know when we were talking before the podcast, it seems like um, everything you do, you're thinking of a way to do better. So uh, uh, talk about your um, your Allen wrenches inside your quiver. I thought that was a really good idea.
1: Oh, yeah. Um. So years ago, out on a mountain, uh, something popped loose, and I needed an Allen key that I ended up packing in, but I left in camp. So... Um, the quiver kit was born, man. Uh, I shoot foam in my quiver. I don't know if you, if you shoot foam, some people don't, they say it like dolls, your broadheads and, and whatnot, but, uh, I like the foam in my quiver and I'll pop it out and I will put every Allen key that I need in there. You can kind of like whittle a little hole out or like a little pocket for it up in there. Um, and it holds it pretty tight to where it's not going to rattle around or, or make noise or be annoying, you know, you won't even know it's there until you need it. Um, So yeah, you can put spare broadhead blades, you can do all kinds of stuff with the foam in your quiver. Um, Yeah, I I like that. Um, You'll always have it with you as long as you have your bow. So and that's kind of an important part.
0: Man, smart. I've gone back and forth on Allen keys. Um, it, it seems like, uh, you know, and I, I usually carry some of my bino harness and have them with me all the time. And those bino harnesses are sure handy for carrying things as well. Um, just cause I always know I'm going to have it. So I keep my tags in there and things and keep my Allens in there. But yeah, I thought that was a good idea with the quiver cause you could also put some string loop material in there. You could put like some, some rest cable. Like I've had rock pikas chew, chew through my rest cable on a hot before oh, you know and so man. that little like backcountry repair kit is sometimes just a lifesaver you know and um i i like to always have one big enough too it takes a really big size but my stabilizers it seems like if you take a bad spill or you hit on your stabilizer you could loosen things up so i like to have a bigger key so yeah that might be an option for me for one of those bigger keys i've been i've been using um Travis has got that new goat knife that'll have those little Allen keys in it. I think that thing's a pretty handy invention. He's got an inventor's mind too, where he's always trying to uh, multi-purpose things. But yeah, I just thought that was um, so good with the quiver. That's pretty smart for stashing things.
1: Yeah, those um, I'm going to have to probably get one of those goat knives. (laughs) I'm rocking a Havalon right now um, with actually a blade that I made on the side. Um, But those replaceable blades, uh, that goat's titanium, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it. Um, I believe so, yep.
1: So super lightweight, and you got all the options to carry stuff. Yeah, that dude nailed it on that one. And uh, replaceable blades, man, especially, like, you get into grizzly country, who's got time to be sharpening, sharpening a knife, you know?
0: Oh, man, that was a game changer for me. Those replaceable blade knives, just the whole butchering process, they just stay so sharp, and there's nothing like an elk hide to dull a knife. You, know, I remember back in the olden days, you used to have to carry two knives and a sharpening stone and the whole – like it was a whole process, and you'd have to start, <laughs> stop and sharpen your knife halfway through. But yeah, now you just pop those things off and go, and man, it'll cut that elk hide and dole up and put a new blade on it and go for it. But yeah, I mean even you know, elk are really big animals, but gosh, I can have one broke down in an hour, hour and a half with one of those replaceable blade knives, and I do everything. I skin them. I mean, I quarter them, and then I bone it off the quarters. Um, yeah, tenderloins, I do that. I I take the head off, and, and those elk heads or those elk spines are so thick, um, but I can get the entire head off with a Havalon, kn- you know, with a replaceable blade knife. It's just wild.
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah, I I carry a Havalon, um, and I, I like to carry – uh, just goes back to that personal preference thing we talked about. Uh, I like to carry a little fixed blade, um, as the muscle, you know, and I've actually had to like grab a stick and baton it through things. And I was like, man, I'm glad I actually carry a, a fixed blade because I don't think the, the replaceable blade would have held up to being beaten through whatever it was.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you can definitely break some blades with those things. I've gotten to where I can really use that edge to my advantage and get through about every anything I have to get through. But, yeah, there are places where that standard knife, um, you know, just being a little bit tougher is is way better, like getting out elk ivories and stuff like that.
1: Oh, yeah, where you got to, like, pry and, and wiggle and, and all that stuff, you know.
0: Speaking of knives, um, man, you, you sure got a talent for building knives, so that's how I found you uh, on Instagram – um, you build custom knives on there. How'd you get into that?
1: Um, well, hunting is expensive, <laughs> so I needed a, a, like a side job, really. Good for you. Um, and actually, uh, my buddy Michael was helping me out with some elk hunting stuff, and I was just like, man, like, you were too good to me. I don't know how to repay you. Um, but right behind my workbench was an anvil and a forge and, you know, I had hammers. So I asked him, I'm like, you know, how about as a thank you gift? I I hammer you out a blade. And he's like, you make knives. I was like, no, (laughs) but (laughs) I did. And, uh, then it was born, man. It it was born. I've been, I've been hooked ever since. And, um, I've learned a lot and I've made a, a lot of great friends, um, through it. And I don't know, knives are really cool, man. Uh, I think that's probably a tool that most people use on a daily basis.
0: Oh, the coolest. And there's, there's so many different knives out there, if, you know, from like a, a small hunting knife, you know, to to bigger fillet knives to, you know, there's so much that you can do. So walk me through the process. Like I know you've got really creative with it. Like you use a bunch of different materials for your handles, um, uh, uh, woolly mammoth teeth, uh, elk ivory, different types of wood, and then walk me through the blade as well. Um, do you, do you craft all your blades?
1: Yeah. Um, right out on my patio behind my house, I kind of got a little blacksmith shop going. Um, so that, that steel that your knife is, is pattern welded steel or Damascus people call it. And, uh, it's just, it's two different types of materials forge welded together. And then you keep upping the layer count and upping the layer count and, uh, when you end up hammering out a knife and getting it ground and polished, you dip it in an acid and it reveals that contrast. So, that pattern you're seeing is just two different types of materials squished together. <laughs>
0: wow, dude, that's incredible. So, it's not like a painted on finish. Like, that's where all the work came in.
1: Oh, yeah, no, that like the there's so um, you can go to my Instagram page and check it out.
0: What, what's your Instagram?
1: Listening, uh, it's kill elk underscore forge. Um, yeah. And there's, there's some, some work on there. Um, but the layers that you see, there's like a contrast. So there's like a black layer and a shiny layer. Um, those are actually through and through two completely different types of material. And, um, yeah, that's not just like a paint job or, or anything like that. That's the steel, um, revealing what it actually did when I squished it all together. Wow.
0: I didn't know that. Yeah. That's wild. So, so okay. that's the, uh, Damascus, say it again for me. What is it?
1: Damascus.
0: Damascus steel. And yeah. and that's like, um, that's toted at some of the highest quality blades, right?
1: Um, yeah, there's, there's some really awesome, talented, just super incredible knife makers out there. And, uh, those blades can get really expensive. I try to keep my costs down as much as possible, um, And I use the best knife steel that money can buy. Uh, It's from New Jersey Steel Baron. So anybody that's familiar with New Jersey Steel Baron knows that, like, their 1095 is just, like, he prides himself in his 1095. And it's just the best steel on earth is what it's sold as. So um, good materials. And, yeah, man, like you said, the handles and, and everything. It's just I try to use the best materials that I can get. And just, like, I'm not trying to get rich, you know. I like seeing people enjoy the, the art and like, wow, like, I can't believe you made this. And like, I'm going to have this forever and I'm going to give it to my, my kid and they're going to give it to their kid. And it's just like, that's worth it. Like all the sweat and blood and tears and me suffering in front of the hot forge when it's 90 degrees and a hundred percent humidity in here, in here Ohio can get rough, but it, it's just, it makes it worth it. So
0: Oh, man, that's some good heat training for that early season mule deer hunting. (laughs) Right now I'm getting ready for Nevada where everything in my mind is heat training. I'm running the hottest part of the days and the the steamer. So, yeah, being next to that that fire in that 100% humidity, oh, my gosh, I can't imagine.
1: Yeah, it can get brutal in there, man. And then, uh, you know, I weld all day um, for a company here in Ohio. We we manufacture machine guns, actually. So I got a pretty cool day job, but uh, that weld shop's hot.
0: Man, I'd say um, how cool, like a labor of love, like you've been down the rabbit hole. The cool thing is that you you've taught yourself how to do this and create these these beautiful knives. So, man, that's really awesome.
1: Yeah, knives are uh, knives are cool, man. So I'm uh, I, I'm kind of a nerd about like gear and, and stuff like that. So and when I love something, man, I, I just get totally wrapped up in it, totally immersed in it. And it's just uh, I'm having fun. And, uh, it seems like people, um, I think they're enjoying them. Nobody's complained yet. <laughs> Nobody's broke anything or told me how terrible they were. So I, I think everybody's enjoying them.
0: Oh dude, but, they're uh, beautiful. They're an absolute work of art. Yeah. From the blade to the handle to the function. Uh, yeah. You're creating some really high end top quality knives. So yeah. Good on you, man. And it's like it, anything that you love to do or have passion for, like it, it, it usually comes out good in the end, doesn't it? It's like, uh, it, it it just seems that way. If you really have passion and interest in things, it comes out, right?
1: Absolutely, man. Um, it helps me for sure. If, if my heart's not in it, then you're not going to get a hundred percent out of me. And like, I don't know, that's why, um, I love elk hunting so much and, and just spend so much time. I think, uh, thing my wife hates on X maps cuz i'm like i'm addicted to e scouting
0: <laughs> yeah uh, well it's a way we can pay our dues when it's not season we can be studying up i know i have a bunch of good hunts and i'm just constantly looking over those maps trying to memorize those mountain ranges and mark vantage points and plan hikes and it seems like the work is just never done it seems like uh, uh you, you can you can put uh uh, hundreds of hours into it and it, that just pays off come season, you know, you just know that place uh, inside and out like the back of your hand. Uh, that's that's really cool. You got some big hunts coming up this year, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, x or uh, base maps or whatever, just e-scouting in general is a game changer. Uh I started hunting in Colorado and I had nothing. I had nobody. Um I didn't own a GPS. I, I just kind of wung it you know what i mean it was going off landmarks like oh yeah there's a little patch of aspens or a boulder field and once i get to that i know i'm gonna get in them you know um but yeah i got uh i finally drew my mule deer tag for colorado this year uh so this is the first time i'm i'm hunting muleys i'm really excited about it um i don't know that much about mule deer hunting because i've kind of become an elk nut and just totally obsessed with elk and chasing elk uh so this is i'm really looking forward to i mean who doesn't want to kill or chase big mule deer bucks in the high country? You know.
0: Yeah. Right. All of us. Um, yeah, that's where it's at. But you're you're going to a spot where you've you've elk hunted before and you've glassed up higher in these basins and seen muleys consistently, right?
1: Yeah. Every time I've been in this basin, uh, I've seen deer. And somebody told me while I was out there, they're like, when you find those deer, they're going to be there year after year. And then that guy told me, the same guy told me, I don't know if this holds true. Maybe you can you can see if this is this is real or not. Um, he said if you want to kill a mule deer buck, go sheep hunting. Yep, that sounds I, about right. <laughs> I think he was referring to like the bigger, like nastier, steeper, rocky, just not like get up in there. And uh, that's where I used to see these bucks. So. Hopefully, and I think the last time I was there was 2014, so I'm hoping not too much has changed.
0: Yeah, well, it seems like, um, you know, things are changing in the Muley Woods, but it seems like historic places that are good, you know, usually stay good. And, and places where you find bachelor herds of bucks hanging out, um, you know, you can usually count on bucks being there year after year. So you, you, you can't always count on the biggest one being there, but yeah, if you've been seeing muleys in there, um, you know – you you can probably count that there's going to be some around there and and he's exactly right that that mule deer hunting it's why I fell in love with it it's the country that it takes you to it takes you to the most extreme country in the lower 48 you know it takes you to that to that steep up where sheep and goats live so man those those alpine basins mule deer need places to feed so they don't you know just live in the rocks but they do bed in the rocks and bed in some steep country and and live in that just rough rock, rugged country. So dude, you're going to have a blast. It's it's like a different style of hunting than elk. Elk is hunted real aggressively and um mule deer are are hunted a little bit more patiently and methodically like you I hunt them aggressive as far as getting plays and making stocks on them but the plays are, are way slowed down and 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 way more methodical and like the hands of a clock everything is really slow you know and it can be slow on elk as you're getting into them too um but but I think you'll really like like the contrast like they're both just awesome western hunts that you know, if I had to pick one or the other, um I well I don't think you could make me pick. I definitely love both of them, but um yeah, you're just going to enjoy the different styles and a different hunt out west. It's a different experience, a different experience for a different species, you know. And and through that, that'll make you a better overall hunter and a better elk hunter.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. It's um it's kind of going to be different for me. I I bought a like one of those little Thermarest butt pads so I can just sit in glass. <laughs> I'm not used to that, you know. It's it's normally like go and like just covering ground and, and trying to find something, but um I think I'm gonna just pop a squat at first light and just start glassing, man.
0: Yeah, so Usually when I hunt elk, it's more of a mobile vantage point where you really get in and you're covering country and you're glassing every opening, maybe working a ridgeline, looking down in. And yeah, muleys are a touch different where you really try to find the master vantage point that shows off the most country or the best country. And and then, yeah, you you sit down and you, you live and die behind your binos. Mule deer are a little bit tougher to glass than elk. You know, elk seem to stick out with their bleach blonde bodies, uh, but those gray mule deer with those gray coats on them, they look exactly like a rock. And sometimes these deer can be two, three hundred yards down below you in an opening, and and you miss them. They like you really have to glass everything close in front of you. You know, work your way out, really glass country. But then, you know, if you're not seeing bucks first or last light, they're not there. You just got to move on. So I think you'll enjoy that. Like you end up mountaineering a lot of country and working a lot of ridge lines and putting on a lot of miles just trying to get to new basins. So um, it's got that same, you know, western extreme hunting makeup. It's it's just a touch different. So you're really going to enjoy it.
1: Yeah, I uh, I haven't got a chance to get above treeline in probably a few years. And, man, I just love the alpine. Um and the old lady doesn't. So like when I bring her, I kinda have to kinda have to cater to like, okay, like I'll compromise a little bit on where we're gonna go on this hike or, or whatever. Um, but i just I can't wait to get camped way, way up top and, and do some glass and so yeah, I got eight days, um, I'm gonna be hunting by myself in Colorado and then I'm going to meet my wife at my friend's house in Washington. And we're going to drive up into Idaho and hunt some elk for two weeks.
0: Oh, good for you. You do have a big hunting season plan. You got a mule deer tag and an elk tag. You're going to be all in going for it.
1: Yeah. I bought a, uh, I bought a deer tag for Idaho too, just in case. Um, nice. I didn't do that in Colorado because I would be almost positive. It would turn into an elk hunt. <laughs>
0: yes uh i know the feeling sometimes it's good to only have one tag that you can put your sole focus on because uh the those those hunts do tend to morph you know uh what what kills you is it when you when you get into colorado and you see that giant bull and you didn't buy the elk tag
1: i know i me and my buddies were joking about it i was like yep three quarters of the way up there he's gonna be standing
0: (laughs) yeah uh i've definitely played that game before i uh I remember me and Dan on a deer hunt, and I had, I had killed a buck, and we went to this uh this other spot we had scouted looking for bucks and turned up some there, but we just turned up this giant bull, and he was just feeding in the perfect spot that night where we could have killed him, and it was that place had elk tags. It, it was the day and age where the elk tags didn't sell out, and so um, – yeah, we went down that night. We drove all the way to Walmart, and he picked up an elk tag, and then we went and hunted for the next few days. We didn't end up killing that bull, but we had some good opportunities and some close calls. But, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the way it is. Um, it's like the nature of the beast. Whenever you're hunting um, – uh, uh, mule deer you tend to run into elk and, and vice versa but it is nice just to have one tag and I know I sure don't regret putting all my effort into a mule deer tag or all my effort into an elk tag you're just not so scattered and uh, you, you don't have as many tags to worry about
1: yeah so that was kind of that was kind of the deal with, with Colorado but I, I'm equally looking forward to both hunts um, and all my gears packed up right here I'm staring at it man I can't wait to leave um I've got some new stuff I'm testing out this year, so it's kind of going to be a little experimental. Um, I think that's, like I said, I nerd out with gear, and um, I mentioned I hunt with my wife, which is, it's cool, but they say, like, buy nice or buy twice. <laughs> it turns out when you hunt with your wife, you have to buy nice, and then you have to buy twice. <laughs> <laughs> So, no, I'm not complaining by any means. She's awesome. But uh, it's cool, though, because I can justify getting new gear and then, like, handing my old gear down to her. And she doesn't have a problem with it. You know, usually she was jealous the year before. So um, it's going to be awesome, man. I got my wind floaters ready. I don't know. um, I highly suggest everybody pick up some wind floaters if you're going to be hunting in the mountains. Um, It's like a little fuzz ball. And you just pop a little piece off and you let it go and it'll tell you exactly what that wind's doing as long as that thing's in the air. It's fantastic, man. I don't know how I hunted all these years without them. (laughs) That's right.
0: I had a a guy on one of the summits that gave me, some sort of a seed, and I can't, I can't remember what it is for the life of me. If it's a seed, or if it's part of a tree, or but it, it's a like you say, a wind floater instead of a wind checker. So the wind checkers with the smoke are great to tell what the wind's doing right around you. But it's pretty quick; it disappears over the hill. And so that's a new idea for me as those those wind floaters, um, where it's something just so lightweight and, and airy that you can let go, but then you can watch go. 20 30 40 yards so you're not just testing the air around you you're testing the air currents where that thing's floating down too. so man i bet that thing's like a, a huge advantage in reading wind and telling what the winds are doing um you know uh, a distance away do they do they sell something like that logan
1: yeah they're called wind floaters and uh, i don't know who makes them um I have my can from last year. The labels kind of wore off of it, but when you buy them, you get enough for like the rest of your life. Um, it come, it's like a tiny little can, like a plastic little can. And there's a hole in the top of it. And what I actually ended up doing was I took a foam earplug from my blacksmith shop and I cut the very tip of it off and I stuffed it in that, that hole. And then I electrical taped the, the earplug tip in that hole. Um, because if they get damp, they don't work so well. And you never know when you're going to get blasted with rain or, or you you know, you get wet walking through some brush in the morning dew or, or whatever. Um, but, yeah, they're just a big old lump of these little fuzzes, man. And they will tell you exactly what that wind's doing. Um, we, we sent some out when it was pretty windy, man. And it was amazing how far. Like, I was watching them in the bi- the binos. I was oh, like, oh, it's still, it's still going. We were, we were like taking bets on whose little wind floater was gonna go further. You know, it was, uh, they're incredible pieces, and in that, you know, it was like six or seven dollars for the little can full of them. So that's, uh, I get excited when I deploy the wind floater. <laughs>
0: Man, I'm sitting here looking at a bunch of neon yarn and stuff at my fly tying desk as I'm talking to you. I'm sitting right next to it. It's like, ah, oh, I wonder if that would work but I like uh even the, the the cottonwood seeds, like those things really blow around around here in the summertime. But yeah, I've gotta I'll get on the internet as soon as I get off this podcast. I've gotta have some of those wind floaters. Yeah, that stuff, um like you say, it just gives you a better understanding of the wind and and in those mountains, it is, like, a higher understanding. Like, for me, it's not just checking the wind. It's, like, knowing the wind, like, knowing what the directionals are doing and how they're covering the ridge tops, and what's a, a dominant wind side and a lee wind side and then really understanding the thermals and uh, – you know, understanding that they come down when the the mountain hillsides are shaded and that air cools and it drops and it drops through the canyons and and through the the lulls and the the drops in elevation and and moves downhill and, and you know the the flip of the coin is the morning when the sun warms up that valley floor it warms up that air around and it starts to rise those uphill thermals you know and so like really understanding those and in the mountains. And then using a wind checker or a wind floater even better, like that's really going to tell you what the winds are doing. I bet you let that thing go, and when you've got an uphill thermal, it just takes off like a balloon up the mountain, huh?
1: Oh, yeah, man. It's incredible. It's incredible. I still carry the the wind checkers, you know, but uh, the combination of them is fantastic. I forget who said it. it. Maybe about Oregon or something. They said if you don't like the wind, move five feet. (laughs) And it's, it's true, man. It's really true. You never know. Um, it's kind of like an eddy in a river in some spots, like where you, it hits some, some structure and then it's kind of swirling back on itself. So you got like a back current, the wind will do the same thing. And it's kind of hard to tell with those little puffer bottles when you're in one of those pockets. And sometimes those pockets can work to your advantage. Like, you may be able to cut the distance to what you need to get a shot if you know exactly what the wind's doing. But if you're like, oh, well, it's still early and the thermals are coming, you know, sucking down, I'm going to wait. You might actually lose an opportunity. So, definitely, they don't weigh anything. They are they don't cost anything. Um, I won't leave without them to, to go elk hunt or mule deer hunt or anything. Man, all
0: right, I gotta get some. Yeah, uh, I really like the way you describe that—that that wind being like a flowing river around rocks and back eddies. It's so true. Like that's what the wind does, uh, as it's moving through the mountains. It's like a flowing river everywhere through the mountains, back edding, blowing on itself. Like a that—that's the perfect description. I love
1: that, Logan. Yeah, It's weird, man. Like I've I'm like, oh, like our wind is terrible. So we got to get around this little knob. And then I get to the top of that little knob. And I'm like, the wind is still terrible. How is this even possible? And it's just a terrain feature, like dictating what the wind does, even though, you know, by the book, you're like, well, you know, temperature and my crosswind. Like I don't know. Sometimes it just does what it wants.
0: <laughs> it's so true. Sometimes like you can make all the sense out of it, what the thermals, what the directionals are doing, and sometimes you just get over there, and that's just not the case. It's like oh hell, it's coming out of the east. Like I didn't, even, I didn't even think it was. I didn't even think the wind was blowing that way. But it, it's wild. The, uh, you said it best. The wind does what it wants.
1: Yeah. Um, Have you been still using that Windy app that you were talking about?
0: Yes, I have. Yep. I use that Windy app quite a bit.
1: And it's, you like it so far, huh?
0: I really like it. Yeah. Uh, I think it gives you a really good general. Could you
1: like uh, expand on that a little bit more?
0: Yeah. So that, that Windy app, so it's an app you can get on your phone. It's called Windy. It's a red app with a white W in it. And so the Windy app. Um, They use it like the guys in Hawaii told me about it. So they use it out there for surf a lot and um, uh, for reading their winds as well, mostly for surfing things. But uh, they show me this app and this app shows you the direction of the wind and it predicts the future winds for up to like three days in front of you. And it it. It shows you the winds, but it also shows you how the winds move through these mountain ranges so you can look at your exact GPS location and see what the dominant winds – now, these aren't going to be thermal winds. These are going to be directionals, but these directionals really take over by middle of the day or so and blow hard through the afternoon. And these directional winds, it'll show you the way the directional winds are going to move through your mountain. And I just find it to be super accurate. And sometimes they'll predict a, a wind change, and it's spot on. They'll say at 3 o'clock it's going to change from the south to the north. And sure enough, it, it does it. So it gives you wind direction and and also gives you wind speed. And so I really like it. it. It, it tends to give you a really good general direction of which way the wind's going to be blowing that day in those mountains.
1: Wow, yeah, I'm definitely gonna be downloading that as soon as we're done on here.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a handy app. Yeah, and those those directionals when you can get those directionals and thermals both working in your favor, that's when elk die. You know, it's like you just get them both working in your in your favor. And I know for elk hunting in Montana, we get a lot of windy conditions, and a lot of times uh, stocking those bulls uh, like that. That wind just covers your noise so well; it just lets you get in really close. Um, you know, where, where they're unaware of your presence. So yeah, man, super handy. So yeah, check it out.
1: Awesome. Yeah. I can't wait. I I'm super excited about that. Another tool, you know, another tool.
0: Yep. Another tool like the, it's like all these facets of hunting that we're learning about and whether it's stalking or whether it's, um, um, you know, whether it's, it's learning the winds and a better understanding of the winds. Like all this just goes into our skill set to help us during the fall, because During the fall, during elk season, it's like, how many opportunities are we really going to create, you know? Hopefully if we're good hunters and, um, you know, we have good instincts, a good game plan, we've done our e-research. You know, I hope to create five different encounters on on nice six-point bulls that I want to shoot or more. But, you know, five chances, boy, you really got to get everything right because sometimes those elk are just going to win. So, you know, that that automatically, you know, cuts your chances down to – down to two or three legit chances at killing one of those bulls. And it it's all going to come down to those micro decisions you make, uh, you know, whether to move in, whether to close from a top, whether to, to wait for a better wind or hunt them in their feeding features, like all these micro decisions, they go into whether or not you kill that bull or not. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm definitely ready for my backcountry test, um, you know, and hopefully get everything right.
1: Oh, challenges, man. Challenges our life that's what makes life fun is challenging yourself you know and i I love a challenge but i try not to have too much expectations the moment i leave for a hunt that's successful to me so just getting you know what i mean living in ohio and getting in my truck and like okay i got eight day mule deer hunt in colorado and i hit the freeway that's automatically a success success that means i worked all year i you know i got everything all my bills paid the, the the house is taken care of that's a success like leaving to go hunt for me is a success so um i just hope for one opportunity every year you know and try not to expect too much and and just like you said uh decision making try to make the best decision
0: Oh, it's a great way to look at it, Logan. It's the way we all need to look at it. We all are just so fortunate to be able to be out there. And, you know, the, the fun of this deal, you know, like sure, we all want to be kneeling behind a big six point at the end of the season. But really the fun of this deal is the journey, the leaving your house, like going on these big adventures, being in the mountains. Like if you don't enjoy the journey and the process, like you're, you're not enjoying the overall experience. So like, um, you know, I get pretty goal driven uh, in in the mountains at times you know but I, I gotta just remember like how lucky I am I, enjoy like the challenge of it and how tough it is and really when I look back at hunts you know it, it's not that end arrow that I remember you know I remember all the tough times and all the the laughs and you know the trials and tribulations that you go through on a a western elk hunt and so man you you just got great perspective and i need to remind myself of that too is to just really enjoy this season and you know i'm i'm so lucky to be able to have the time and to be able to be in these wild mountains and have like an elk tag in my pocket or a deer tag in my pocket I'm so lucky. I better soak in every minute of it, you know, every free day, every minute and really embrace it because I've been looking forward to it and dreaming of it all year long. And when I'm finally there, you know, I I can't be so fixated on the, the end goal. Like I love being immersed in the challenge. And so that's part of the fun for me is to be hunting elk and trying to solve the puzzle and trying to arrow this six point bull. I love that. Um, I just need to, need to love everything about it and appreciate it as I'm in the mountains because it, uh, I'm pretty fortunate for sure.
1: Absolutely, man. And that's, uh, I mean, it just goes beyond, I mean, look at all the awesome people you got to talk to, uh, during the summer, doing your podcast during the fly cast. Um, a lot of this stuff, I don't know. I mean, would it be possible it had you not been bow hunting, you know, I mean, There's just, I've learned so much just from your podcast. I can't imagine, you know, out of all the people that you've talked to, it's just, hunting is just a life changer, game changer. It's just a lifestyle. I don't know, man. I love it. I can't get enough of it. Um, It's an honor to get to be on here and talk to you. And, and I don't know, man, what a, just what a wonderful thing.
0: Dude, it is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Um, Yeah, we, uh, You just – you got a great outlook on it, you know. Um, Man, that's exactly it. Um, So fortunate to be able to learn and do this and and meet so many great people and, um, yeah, all through uh, bow hunting, you know. First bow when I was 12 years old. I just never thought it would lead to this. And, man, I mean, when I finally – when I really committed to bow hunting, you know – I should. Twenty-two-year-old me would sure be impressed at where I've made it from that you know, from just shooting a stick and string. So yeah, man, it's it's been this this wild ride that I'm so fortunate to be part of. But dude, I'm so glad like I I got to meet you and have an in-depth conversation. Um, your knife building is so next level, and I can tell I can tell how much you you love and live the bow hunting lifestyle 365. And, um, I can't wait to see what you turn up this season. So you have to come back on after you fill that big muley tag and that Idaho elk tag.
1: Well, hopefully, hopefully there's, there's some critters, you know, going in the freezer this year. Uh, we got a pretty big year lined up. Um, you know, Ohio whitetail is always good to us and probably be hunting Tennessee for some deer, some little tiny deer, <laughs> and then another pig hunt in Texas. So Hopefully there's a bunch of meat in the freezer, and uh, hopefully you do awesome this season also, man. I'm really looking forward to seeing what everybody turns up. It's almost that time. I think uh, I leave in like 40 days. That's crazy.
0: Yeah, oh, it's so cool, man. It's right around the corner. Yeah, you 40, guys you guys have some – 40 days is nothing. <laughs> 40 days is nothing, right? Yeah, I think um, – gosh, I think I get started off here uh, August 10th, so I'm I'm at like a 20-day countdown.
1: Whoa, man. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, getting down to it. Um, But it's so fun meeting like-minded people. Um, So impressed with with your knife building again, man. um, What beautiful knives you build, Um, man, and and your bow hunting. I can't wait to see what you do this season. So keep in touch with me, and, man, this has been really fun.
1: Absolutely, Brian. Thanks again for having me on, man. Uh, It's awesome. I I love your podcast. It's super educational and, and just fun to listen to.
0: Man, you're the best. Right on. Sounds good, man. We'll talk soon.
1: All right, Brian. Thanks, man. All right, guys. That's a wrap.
0: Fun conversation with Logan, man. That guy loves to hunt elk. Uh, and a great inventor's mind. Uh, it's just wild. Some of the people I'm able to meet in the you know through the podcast and have these in depth conversations with, and I really enjoyed that one with Logan. So hopefully you guys are making your elk hunting dreams come true. Right now is the season. Uh, absolutely cannot wait. Uh, I'm getting out of here today. Well, uh, tomorrow, I guess. i going to watch my daughter's volleyball games and then take off uh, tomorrow night and uh, get over and meet my buddies and um, start in on some elk hunting. I cannot wait. Uh, so hopefully Big Giant six points in my future and in yours too. I want to thank our sponsor for the show. I want to thank Zamberlin Boots. Again, just making the highest quality boots. I'm so impressed by these things. Uh, the two pairs I'm using, if you guys are interested in, uh, their burly Tennis Shoe is a 103 Hike Light RR. And then their low height boot is a Zamberlin 320 Trail Light GTX. Uh, just amazing boots. I'm so impressed by them. And thanks to those guys for their support of the podcast. And um, with that... Time to go get packed up, get out of here for some elk hunting. The funnest time of the year. So, uh, I'm going to go chase them around. I got a couple different tags. Just really looking for one good bull this season. Uh, If I can find one good six point that I'm really happy with, uh, elk season will be a success. And just have some fun and uh, try to make the people around me better, my buddies better, family. Uh, try to really help them out help them reach their goals. They're such good people and would do anything for me. I just want to return the favor. Uh, so excited to get hunting with, um, some buddies and, I've already been hunting with my buddy, Dan, always pulling for his success. I know he'll be out hunting hard and, um, man, just that fun time of the year. So, uh, it's gonna, it's gonna go by in a flash. So I'm really trying to, uh, really trying to enjoy it, um, I got uh, out yesterday morning. I got back from this latest mule deer hunt and uh, trying to fit in some antelope hunting in between uh, these hunts or when I can get out. In fact, I think I'll make it out this afternoon. Um, But I made it out yesterday morning, got a couple plays, had a really nice buck. Just give me the Houdini. I don't know where in the heck he went. I was so slow. I was so quiet. He had a couple does. Last time I saw him was 200 yards. The hillside he was on was shaded and everything else was in the bright sunshine. So I'm not sure if some of my scent just drifted over the hill in my final approach and I didn't see him spook out of there or if he just moved off or if aliens transported him. I'm not really sure. He just absolutely disappeared. I spent another hour looking for him, just different coolies and canyons and coming over the edges of stuff and never could turn him up. But I'm thinking I can make it out this afternoon and uh, go see if I can turn him up in the same spot Grab a really good low vantage point on it and uh, see if I can't get a stock. Uh, I did end up getting a stock later in the day. Found a nice heavy buck with a bunch of does. Man, I thought I had him. Um, they were moving. I got in front of him and he came by me at like 20 yards with a doe, and I I didn't pop up because he had a dozen other does in there, and they were just working by me. Finally, at about 35 yards, I was able to pop up, get a range on them, and get ready and just kept clicking them and he just would not stop walking with those does they were they were on the move finally at like 50 yards out of desperation i tried to make a little noise uh like those antelope make just a Zoom. just tried to get them to stop and turn around and look my way um but no such luck he kept moving and um no shot so uh, fun to get out and chase those things around it's amazing like one morning of antelope hunting i've already got two stocks where mule deer you know i'm I'm really looking for a good buck but i mean we're talking a couple different states 20 days of hunting and i have four stocks in so uh, antelope sure sharpen your skills or sharpen my skills and uh, good to get a couple stocks under my belt before elk season Because it all comes down to those small moves you make trying to get into bow range and execute a shot. Uh, So just um, a great warm-up. I think I'm going to get out this afternoon. And I might get a a session like tomorrow morning or something like that. Um, I know I've got to make both volleyball games and kind of get packed up and ready to go. But I may be able to fit a couple hours in. So uh, fun to chase those things around It's just fun being into fall, into hunting season And I am so excited to get after some bulls Man oh man, been a long time coming I can't wait to see a good six And um, be able to go after him and see what I can do So a couple good hunts coming up for those things So, man, so fortunate So fortunate to be able to have this time To go chase things around um, It is just so fun And um Nice to have this this podcast kind of be ahead of things, be able to take off and have some good recordings out to you guys, and I'm going to have to get back on it here and uh, get some good recordings, but there should be plenty to talk about with a a lot of guys having success this season and adventures, Um, so I'm making a a good list of my next podcast uh, guests I want to have on and um, things I want to talk about, And, and it's good. It just gives me such renewed vigor for things you know, to get a break from it and um, be able to go chase my dreams in the mountains. So uh, having so much fun, so much fun sharing it with you guys. Uh, Thanks for recording these solo episodes, or all the episodes, really. I just appreciate the support. Uh, You guys are the reason this thing goes. So um, I love doing it. I love backcountry hunting. And, um, man, I appreciate you guys and the support of this podcast. So thanks a million, guys. I hope you're out in the mountains Uh, chasing your dreams as well and I'm really enjoying sharing in your success Uh, keep after it guys Um, so fun and it's going to be over in a blink of the eye so uh, appreciate you guys I'll check in with you next week